So do we have the balls to call this episode stupid cookbooks? <laughs> I really do. I like I like stupid books for cooks. I think that that's actually really no, I think it's ridiculous. also ridiculous books for cooks. I think is a really good way of doing it. And it also just grabs people. Yeah, because if it's just I guess stupid's not very nice. No, not <laughs> it can be something like ridiculous. But I really enjoyed earlier when I was talking with Blanca and she was like, These books are so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode. Today's episode is called "Ridiculous Books for Cooks," and let's set the scene for us, Blanca. Um, parentheses. Welcome to Spice Bags, <laughs> which I always forget to say. Welcome to Spice Bags. I'm Julia. This is May and Blanca. Boom, boom, done, done. Blanca, set the scene for us. What's Books for Cooks? Uh, Books for Cooks is a bookstore, uh, stroke restaurant, stroke uh, cooking school. That was founded in 1983 by a very forward-thinking lady called Heidi Lascelles. Um, and basically, her idea was just to cook out of cookbooks and have a small restaurant that provided food for 40 people every day. And also, eventually, introduced, she introduced um, cooking classes. By provided food, do you mean like to the homeless or you mean like as a restaurant? As a restaurant, as a very okay. cheap restaurant. So a menu in Books for Cooks probably now would cost nine, 10 euro for a three course meal. Oh, damn. That's a great deal. And what did you do there? So I was, I was the test chef, like the kitchen chef, or there was a test kitchen, very small and it was open. So everybody could see you every morning when they came into the shop and you cooked out of cookbooks, but you could only cook on the day and you and you could only shop on the day. So we had to go out in the morning and get all the vegetables from Portobello Road. And then the meats we ordered from the owners, um, he had a farm. So this is the second owner after Heidi LaSalle's. So it was a very interesting experience. You had to get there very early and I had an assistant and we cooked and you had no way, if something didn't work out, you couldn't go back and fix it. You had to serve it. And so like, what was the point of having a quote test kitchen? Was it so that you could tell your consumers in the bookstore, like these, this book's recipes really work and this book yeah. don't? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So you really came to know firsthand which books suck <laughs> and which books I just, are yeah, which, which recipes suck. I mean, sometimes there's maybe a difference. I was going to, I wanted to ask Blanca this. It's like, is there a difference between a well-written book and like, it's like a book that you really enjoy reading versus like a book that, you know, with, with good recipes. Well, I think, I think that one reason that we want to do this episode is that everyone is passing around recipes and cookbooks in this incredibly like sincere and like obviously useful and helpful way. But I think we've lost sight of the fact that so many books, cookbooks, um, and especially, I mean, the ones that we really enjoy are ludicrous and aspirational and silly and you know, personality driven or vanity projects or whatever it is. Um, so those are the ones that we're going to celebrate today. And Blanca found her way to so many of them through this experience. Just going back to what May asked, one of the most uh, like fascinating things I learned about book in Books for Cooks was that the books that you really don't value and they're not, you know, vanity projects like Australian Women's Weekly this is something that the recipe always work. And I think when you're in a test kitchen, you realize it's not a time for, you know, books that are not going to work. So one example I did, um, I had was 
there was a very, very handsome Peruvian chef coming to visit Books for Cooks. And I was cooking a pork loin marinated in coffee and it was inedible and I still had to serve it. And I'm not going to say- and were you single at this it. time? Like I need, I need to know how high the stakes are for this. Were you single? <laughs> like, did you- I was living with Steve, but not yet engaged or married, I think. So um, okay. yeah, and he was, he was very good looking. I'd seen his cookbook and his picture beforehand. So, you know, I should have cooked something from, we, we had a collection of books that we published that was the best recipes from Books for Cooks that always worked. So, you mm. know, if you have that type of event, trying to impress someone, don't do something new. I was also going to say, though, you could have also just cooked something from Australian Women's Weekly because that's just yeah. so dead sexy, right? Where is this from? It's the Australian Women's Weekly. What, so Australian Women's Weekly, it was a magazine, I'm assuming, that that just like they, what, they just recipe tested the hell out of their stuff yes. and it was reliable? Yeah. And they published books and they're very, very good recipes. Um, so That's how I feel about Sever in the early days, early <laughs> Sever. You could always rely on it. Oh, really? Oh, Really? Mm, okay. Uh, I really like the test kitchen there, but I think because so much of the originally it was sort of a vanity anthropological project, Sever was not so, like Sever was not so reliable. Whereas something very unsexy like Bon Appetit was. Yeah, I think that the the sexier the the recipe book, the more failings you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, okay, so what are some of your favorite, and we're going to post some pictures on Instagram because a lot of the joy of this is visual, but um, but there, there's some literary hilarity here too. So what are some of the real stupid books <laughs> that, we, that you that you came across? Well, one of my favorite authors... Or ridiculous. Is, yeah. We'll go with ridiculous. This is maybe not ridiculous, but so aspirational. It's always been out of my reach. Uh, this is a writer called Lee Bailey from uh, Louisiana, who was an interior designer, uh, had a lot of cook, cook shop stop, uh, shops in New York, in Saks Fifth Avenue, in Henry Vendel. And he published these really amazing uh, decadent books in these beautiful homes in the Hamptons, in St. Thomas, in What New are York. some of his titles? So Good Parties, um, oh, nice. City Parties, you, you get the Long Weekends. <laughs> Yeah, more parties, rich parties, rich sick parties. parties. These, are, these are parties um, that you can't get into. What I love about Read Lee Bailey is that, sorry? I said these so are parties you can't get into. Lee Bailey is fascinating because you're never going to get invited to them. But he's the opposite of Martha Stewart. You know when you read Martha Stewart, her books like Entertaining Menus, you feel so inadequate. When you read Lee Bailey, even though you know you're not going to get invited to that party, you still love him and you want to be friends with him. He was very good friends with Nora Ephron. He was very good friends with gossip columnist uh, Liz Smith. And I think he's a contemporary of Martha Stewart, much older. But his books, you know, they're obviously hard to find now. Yeah, you can get them in Amazon, but they're just a lot of fun. And it's escapism, you know, every time I feel depressed, I just go to, I don't know, his picnics, you know, obviously, I won't be doing a lot of that. So can you give us a description of a Lee Bailey recipe or of a Lee Bailey, I don't know, like, um, I was just gonna say Lee Bailey tablescape, like an evening with Lee Bailey. I think an evening with Lee Bailey would mean you go to a very expensive uh, city like New York, and in his book, City Food, he has a, a, a meal that's given in a kitchen and the kitchen is all black, really shiny with neon. 
And let me find it in the book to see what he's serving. He's serving. I love how city food. I love how city food could mean like a rat that you found in a dumpster, but for Lee Bailey, city food obviously means you have a black lacquer kitchen with neon highlights. This this kitchen is amazing. I mean, he also tells you what flowers to use and all the glassware, tableware. So this is lamb, pork with walnuts, pumpkin prunes, and white beans. It's very simple. Rice with dill, walnuts, bib lettuce, espresso ice with whipped cream. So this is a meal you would give in your, I don't know. I I can't even imagine how expensive this kitchen is. I'll post a picture. Um, So, you know, he tells you what cutlery you need to wear, like to use the napkins. And, you know, it's visually stunning the pictures they're really really beautiful and this is a very informal meal in a kitchen but then he would also do a very formal meal I don't know in a a swell swell dinner and this is in a beautiful house uh probably overlooking um Central Park uh and it's gravlax roast veal baked onions and rice grated turnips fennel and Boston lettuce salad berries with creme fraiche Grated turnips. So the food is not fancy. The food no. is like delivery. Maybe that's what's so approachable about Lee Bailey is that actually the food is uh, um, whatever, accessible and welcoming and easy to do, straightforward. And it's just the fabulous environment is what you it fantasize. Yeah. The, the fantasy is that like, um, or you were saying that Ina Garten is somebody who looked up to him or knew him. Yeah, yeah. And she says she goes for inspiration. His menus are uncomplicated because obviously he was an interior designer, but it's just the beautiful pictures of these beautiful homes and but, furnishings. But it's also I think it's 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 a, it's sort of wasp entertaining where food plays second fiddle. Uh, my oh, aunt used yeah. my aunt used to say about wasp cocktail parties, it's all clear cocktails and potato chips. Mm, yeah, and wasp obvi- for those. Should we explain what a wasp is? Do you think everyone knows? I don't a white Anglo, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, but there it's is like a- you know Boston Brahmin and the upper, it's like upper crust uh, people from the East Coast a generation ago or and before. Like I don't think wasp has the same kind of cachet as it used to. You know, that's true. But I think I I used to aspire. I think I used to dream of being a wasp when I was a little girl. That would be one of my dreams. Like not a princess. I just wanted to be a wasp. You just, just wanted to wear um, like Ralph Lauren Polo, Ralph Lauren po- House on Fisher's Island, and, and uh, drink a drink from a pitcher of martinis, and you know, and have a have a horse named Mimi. I think these are yeah. the people who probably got invited to these parties. Definitely, yeah. I don't know why you find it inspirational. I'm Spanish. I grew up in Latin America. I, I, my life was eating pupusas from the local market. So, but at the moment I found Lee Bailey, I just, I've been collecting most of his books. I just, it speaks to me. I don't know. Um, I was going to say, uh, just moving slightly on from Lee Bailey, you sent us a list that just called Blanca's recipes. I will not be cooking. Do you mind reading those off? Cause I found them fantastic um hold on let me let me find it it was basically um looking at all these books that have been in storage for five six years so when i left uh chicago i moved to china i put them away thinking i wouldn't need them in china i was wrong because i only brought chinese cookbooks and then i was missing all these lee bailey type books and martha stewart so some of the things i will not be cooking is sourdough made by bass shepherds of idaho in a pit 
That's from the Time Life series books. I just, I just want to make sure everyone heard that properly. Basque Shepherds of Idaho. Go ahead. The second thing is Pachamanca from the Andes, which is, uh, I bought a book about Pachamanca in Peru, and it's uh, an oven that you dig in your garden, and it's a mixture of alpaca, pork, chicken, guinea pig, lamb marinated in spices. Uh, I think Ugh. any type of pastela, <laughs> even though I know, May, you're very partial to this, I don't think I will be making pastela anytime soon, especially if you have to make the paste, the warka from scratch. Even with filo pastry. Yeah. Uh, then shark's fin soup with bird nest sauce from my fabulous Hong Kong dim sum book that I've never looked at in the last, I don't know, 15 years. There was just an Atlantic article about how that, about a guy who believes that that'll cure cancer. Go ahead. Oh, probably. And then <laughs> anything baked in a coconut and pumpkin. And I have to say Martha Stewart really, really is a main um, person I'm targeting here. So many things of hers are baked in other items like coconuts or pumpkins. Um, I hear you. I hate baking anything in a pumpkin. It just looks gross. It looks like a dirty old jack-o'-lantern that needs to be like collected off your stoop. Yeah. Then uh, I think anything that needs a larding needle, I think Gordon Ramsay, um, he's fabulous, fabulously inaccessible book, uh, seafood book, uh, where he's larding his sea bass with salmon. I wouldn't be uh, cooking that. So and a larding then, needle, meaning a larding needle is just like a big needle that you use to sew salmon shut. Yeah. To put, you want to put a strip of fish in the fish. So you have a piece of fish and you get this needle and you stick a strip of salmon inside the fish. So are you weaving? The, yes. I, it's kind of embroidery for them. fish. Yeah. I'll say, I'll put a picture so people can see what, how beautiful it looks. It's, it's ridiculous. I think all that maybe 200 years ago, I think another cookbook that I won't be cooking at from is the Patagonian barbecue. I think spit roasted lamb. And once again, no canapes, because obviously we're not doing any entertaining um, from Martha Stewart's books. If you know Martha Stewart's canapes, <clears throat> these are very, very um, complicated, um, hard to eat with your hands. I don't know. I have the Martha Stewart canapé book and I threw an Easter party a couple of years ago, right after I bought the book and I was really excited about it. And I actually like had a very difficult time uncrossing my eyes. I think I had like this temporary cognitive damage from focusing so hard on 1 million tiny quail's eggs for so long. Like it was, it required a kind of like focus that was not, it was not meditative. It was like damaging. <laughs> yeah. yeah can you guys give me some more examples? Cause I, I'm fascinated by complicated canapés, but that's also why I love catered events. So I don't have to do them. Sorry. I have, um, I don't have Martha's canopy book with me in the kitchen and I can't venture out, but I have her menus for entertaining and there's a wonderful picture. Um, so she's saying to use all these old things that you might have in your house for, for throwing a, a party. So she has, um, a, how do you call this in English? A wheelbarrow for displaying your glasses that, you know, that I love that. <laughs> and then she has a, a gigantic lacy Susan that's rusted, but she's covered it with leaves to put all your canapes, you know, also something that you might have laying around in your garden. Um, her, you know, this party that she has here, it's called hors d'oeuvres in the garden. I think we would have a panic attack if we had to throw it. And she also recommends to stock up on your own glasses 
because, you know, renting them and using plastic or paper won't do. Yeah, she made it all look so good. She made it all look so good in those pictures, you know, like the even she I remember there's a picture of like a cracker assortment of homemade crackers. And it's like, you know, 15 different kinds of crackers and all in different shapes and different kinds of seeds. And like, you just think that if you could be the person that put that out, your life would change forever. <laughs> and, then, and then you do it and you just break all your knuckles and you want to cry by the time your guests come over. <laughs> yeah. And um, Julia, we were talking about the Irish, if there were any Irish books that were inaccessible or ridiculous. And I have to say that was very hard. That's like, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Like, I mean, we were talking about the history of Irish cookbooks with JP a little bit, JP McMahon, when he, he was on um, a few episodes ago. Um, and there is a, a history of like very earnest, um, domestic, uh, you know, women giving guidance in these, in Irish cookbooks. And I was wondering whether there is an, a streak that we just don't know as much about, and maybe listeners will help us find our way to them of, of ridiculous Irish cookbooks. Um, I did find some, um, interesting recipes that I thought we won't be making during quarantine. And this is in the Sally McKenna extreme greens, understanding seaweeds. And it just made me chuckle a little bit. Seaweed spa. You know, if you have that extra seaweed. And then the creamy seaweed massage oil. I thought that Wait, so be- that's, this is in a cookbook. She's got, uh, she also has recipes for massage oil and baths. Yeah. Does she do it in a glamorous way? Does she put herself in like an no. off the shoulder, an off the shoulder bathrobe, like stepping no. into a clawfoot no. tub? Or is it like no. just a couple of recipes? All right. That's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> The pictures are not that exciting, no. But I don't well, know. Maybe, if there's, maybe there's room in the marketplace. Every whoever, and if you know, maybe there's room in the in the in the Irish cookbook market for someone to do um, a ludicrous, entertaining book for for the Irish. Yeah, and I have to say, I found a book that I really love, and it would be a book that I would take with me if the house burned down. And this is one of Mary Berry's first books. Hmm. And it's the freezer cookbook from 1977. Hmm. And I love Mary Berry. Her recipes always work. She's amazing. And she's become so much more famous now than she used to be, I guess, when I worked in Books for Cooks. But the pictures in this book are really to die for. There's a picture of her with her children cooking in the kitchen. And I'm going to post that also on Instagram so you can see how different that might be to your life. You know, it's a very tidy, beautiful kitchen. Her kids are standing out of the way. They're beautifully dressed. Um, she's beautifully dressed. It's She's preparing rhubarb either to make jam or freezing it for her for this book. And that's another aspirational picture because I love rhubarb. So when I see that picture, I think there could be another life for me somewhere else. That's hilarious. My daughter, meanwhile, opened up a package of a new toy today called Kinetic Sand. Oh, you heard of it? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, long story short, we're never getting tiny grains of fluorescent pink out of her nails, like the corners of her eyes, like our entire house is destroyed. Anyway, um, that's uh, Mary Berry. I had no idea that she was actually a reliable cookbook author. I thought yeah. she was just a celeb. No, her, her baking books are really, really good. All her books, she's, you know, she's been around for a long time, but she's famous for very, very good recipes. Just going back to our conversation for, to, to an earlier point really quickly, I wonder if we could imagine what an aspirational Irish cookbook would look like. Do you know what I mean? Like who would do it? What would like, yeah. Do we think that there could be such a thing as like an aspirational or ridiculous, you know, uh, particularly Irish 
cookbook or is that kind of thing now completely like homogenous and international is are we just talking you know are fancy cookbooks just fancy cookbooks well actually and it's not a fancy thing but i would be dying to see an irish sandra lee <laughs> but sandra lee is like a bullshit no completely she's totally yeah she's semi-homemade what yeah we probably have to to Irish audiences who Sandra Lee is. She is this, I think she used to be a catalog model. Um, she is dating, she was Andrew dating Cuomo. The, Yeah, Andrew Cormo and a very typical Sandra Lee menu would be um, expensive halibut with a salsa made from canned peaches and angel food cake that she has decorated with from the from the jar champagne frosting and in orange and her favorite thing is cocktail time so yes. you know yes and she goes oh cocktail time and so she makes a cocktail that coordinates color coordinates with what she's serving and her tablescape so if it was halibut with a canned peach salsa it would probably be an orange cocktail with I don't know. Uh, high C. What is the? But anyway, so it would be a bright orange cocktail. Tang. Tang. Um, yeah, it would be tang and vodka. They brought tang up into the International Space Station or whatever because it like I, I guess it's made it's so artificial. It's like space dust and it'll survive. <laughs> um, but um, wait, but why do you want to see an Irish Sandra Lee? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, what? Well, there's a, there's, I mean, because first of all, I love Sandra Lee. I love how ludicrous she is. She's great entertainment. Um, and the so. idea of how she thinks like, so it's, so her menus are, and they're ludicrous, but they are visual as well as That's they are. I never thought of her as visual. I always just thought of her as lazy. She's just like, buy a tart and then uh, like jazz it up with a little candied ginger. You no, know but I mean? she, no, but a lot of her, okay. So let's, let's go into Sandra Lee. Like it's a lot of her stuff is, um, is, is more trouble than it's worth. So she'll buy yeah. a lot of, you know, pre-made cheesecakes and, you know, scoop out the filling and then layer them and put them in the freezer and, you know, and decorate them painstakingly with, you know, I don't know, artificial candied violets. Yeah. More trouble than it's worth is right. And then you, at the end, you don't even get to say you made it from scratch. Yeah. Well, that's um, the beauty of Sandra yeah. Lee. I can say, I think if there was an aspirational book um, from Ireland, it would, a lot of the shoots, if it was something similar to Lee Bailey or, Martha Stewart, it would be a lot of the shoots would be done in kitchens because, you know, the Irish are compared to at least to the Spanish or the Italian, they're obsessed with kitchens. So I can imagine this casual book, but it wouldn't be, the food wouldn't be particularly Irish, but maybe the settings, the kitchens, the gardens, you know, people here are so proud of their gardening skills. And so I can see a book like that. I think there, I think there are books like that, but I think it's to sort of take it to another level, to take it to a Martha Stewart level, where you are serving your canapes in a wheelbarrow. And I think that the answer might actually be under our noses the whole time. I think that about 
half the recipes in J.P. McMahon's The Irish Cookbook are really, really useful and feasible. And actually, maybe this ratio is a little different. Maybe it's more than half. But I think there are some of them in there that you could you could call out and make a separate book of. And and he totally admitted this, and we laughed about it at the in the in that interview. But you know. Um, covering a chicken in mud or um, getting a whole bunch of ash from the hearth fire that you obviously don't have to cook your shellfish in or whatever, you know, um, as Blanca was writing, Blanca was like furiously writing in the studio. Hey, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, I mean, I think there is something maybe um, a ridiculous, ridiculous recipe because we won't call that a ridiculous cookbook. It's a very serious cookbook and it's very useful in a lot of ways, but there's a streak of it that might qualify as ridiculous, not, not in that kind of waspy, fancy, glamorous way, but in like a Hiberno Irish, um, you know, fantasy of a return to the land kind of way, which is, which is just as much a fantasy, you know, um, as anything else. And you could do also in the book, like seaweed baths. So you could have a barbecue with seaweed baths also. I was going to say when I was a little kid, not a little kid, when I was about like nine or 10 years old, um, I was kind of like a fat loser and I did a, I took pottery classes. Like I, I took them for years and years and I was obsessed with pottery. And, um, so like every week I'd get out of my pottery class and I'd be covered in mud. And, um, so my baths became like a big part of my life. Like my siblings were like, Julia, you're such a loser. I'd be like, mom, like on the way home from school, I'd be like, mom, can we stop at Deva, which was this like store for old women and pick up some new bath oils when I was, when I was like <laughs> literally a child? Um, because I like took so many baths that I got into the habit of making them really elaborate. I had like tea. I made like Earl Grey tea baths. I made milk rich baths. I made like all kinds of shit from scratch. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I should get back into that and do. Maybe you should ridiculous. do a you should do a ridiculous bath cookbook. Yeah, I should do a ridiculous bath cookbook. Like, and there we could do some really cute photo shoots of of my me and my post baby body, which literally looks like a fucking stuffed Christmas stocking. There's like there's there's no waistline. There's nothing. Just like me in my ridiculous post baby body, uh, just stepping stepping one of my really unsexy like um, caveman toes into a clawfoot tub and being like, "Come hither," as I as I melt like a bar of chocolate into the bath. <laughs> my daughters would like that. Yeah, I'm I know so glad that this conversation has taken us here because that's a fucking great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Cleopatra. Okay, so actually, can I can I just jump in really quickly? Blanca, can you give us I mean cuz when you told me a long time ago that you did the kitchen for Books for Cooks, which is an institution that I love. Like, can you give us some dish on Books for Cooks before we wrap everything up? Well, one thing about Books for Cooks, uh, before um, I worked there, I was a customer and I always wa- wondered if people judged me if I bought certain books. And the answer is yes. So I realized, and this is not so much like the teachers who used to do the workshops, but some of the shop assistants, um, if you ask for certain books, definitely people in the shop might you know, talk about it. But like, What do you mean? Like if you ask for something that's really basic, they think you're basic or... Let's say Books for Cooks really knew what books they liked and they stocked those books and they were very partial to like some people who self-published. Um, so, you know, for example, they loved the Avoca Cafe Cookbook or Cafe Paradiso. So if you asked for a book that wasn't within their favorites, you know, they'd be like afterwards saying, oh, I wonder why that lady wanted that book. So first of all, they would steer you in the right direction. They would say, 
oh, have you seen this book? And if you kind of rejected it, they'd be like, ooh. So it, it is a little bit, you know, judgmental. I don't know now, but back then. And, um, and another- it, sounds like the, it sounds like the record store from High Fidelity. A little yeah. bit. You know, yeah, Jack Black. There were some people like that. Hmm. Um, did you did you get a sense of Irish food from already from the books there? And did yes. you think that no? Now that you've come to Ireland, did the books that you knew at Books for Cooks represent Irish cooking accurately, or do you think it's it was skewed by kind of what makes it in the media? No, I think uh, Books for Cooks was very you know they loved Ballymaloo. Actually, you know, but I went to Ballymaloo for a week in like two thousand and two. So Ballymaloo was huge in Books for Cooks and Darina Allen, and they had her cookbooks and um, <clears throat> the Avoca books, um, Dennis Cotter. So Irish food, I would say in a lot of our compilations that we did, we featured recipes from books from uh, Avoca, for example, like the orange lentil and tomato soup. So it was, it was a big part of Books for Cooks. I would say much bigger than Spanish. Spanish was irrelevant. It was kind of like a tiny shelf of books. And, you know, I would cook tortilla or gazpacho and, you know, a lot of the times it would be lost. It would be like, no, it, it was, I think Irish is that those type of cookbooks were more in line with the ethos of books for cooks, which is like simplicity and honest, good recipes. But yeah, mm. it, it was a big um, part of books for cooks, all the Irish experience and link. Uh, and also there was a huge link with Australia and New Zealand because at that time in London and probably still, um, that type of fusion Asian Mediterranean food that Peter Gordon and I don't know, Peter Gordon in London from New Zealand or the bathers pavilion in Australia, that type of food was very, very popular in books for cooks. It's interesting that Irish cuisine was kind of known as a connoisseur's cuisine that, you know, that real cooks liked to cook Irish food because, you know, it, it was in that category of stuff that works. And I think maybe that's why um, those are the kinds of recipes and books that people are, are sharing and enjoying right now, yeah. but not us. <laughs> We're going to send you to the Basque Patagonian free ballers of Idaho or whatever that was. <laughs> We're going to, we'll, we'll, sheep herders, excuse me. Herders. We'll put a lot of, we're going to have a lot of follow up on um, Instagram, but for now I hear my children screaming. So um, listen, uh, Twitter, spice bags, pod, um, email spicebagspod at gmail.com. And please, if you're enjoying our podcast, um, which it seems like a lot of you are, so thank you so much, please um, rate and review us because uh, it's it just really helps people find their way to us. I listened to podcasts for a million years and I never rated and reviewed until now because I now understand what it does. It just, um, it just um, helps people get more of what they want, which is a beautiful thing. Um, okay, great. So fun to talk to you guys and uh, looking forward to the next episode in which we chat with Manuela Spinelli, uh, Manu Spinelli, Manuela Spinelli, who uh, is the Secretary General of Eurotalks Ireland, uh, but f- for whom many non food lovers love because she was the translator for uh, the football coach Trapatoni. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Did you guys yeah. just hear my husband sneeze in the background? Did we have to end this. Life is encroaching. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, um, ah, hi. Goodbye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. See you. Bye. <laughs>